So if you all happen to have been here this last week, um, you will know I get a little bit tentative around um, music stands right now. Uh, one of them disintegrated while I was preaching last week. And then I go into my connect group today and there was another one that was there and I touched it and it went all the way to the ground. So right now, I don't know if I need to just back up from this or what's going on. But anyway, um, by a show of hands, how many of you enjoy reading novels? All right. There's a fair amount of novel readers out there. Um, so a while back, I came across a set of Christian mystery novels by Terry Blackstock called Cape Refuge. Uh, I was scrolling through the uh, free ebook section on Kindle, and it just so happened that uh, the first couple in that series, they were in the free section. And I thought to myself, well, the price is at least right, so that's a great thing. We're going to start there. And I was like, wonderful. So I downloaded them. I got two novels out of this. And just so that you understand kind of where this opening illustration is going and you understand my heart, um, I don't really like novels. So uh, there's a reason I'm telling you that on the front side. Um, I've like read maybe four or five novels in the last 15 years, um, but I'm always fascinated when I talk to people who they read for entertainment. <laughs> that is so foreign to me. Like I like lazier forms of entertainment. I like to fall asleep while watching TV. And reading requires both of my eyes to be open and my brain somewhat engaged. But I still get fascinated because people, they, they read and they say things like, I just lose hours of time. And I'm like, I have never experienced that in my life. So anyway, I got these couple of novels and I'm gonna tell you, I couldn't put them down. I was like, this is how the other half of the reading world operates. Like, it was fantastic. Uh, and one of the things is the setting was actually in Savannah, Georgia. So I was like, whoa, okay. Kind of had a little hometown connection. It grabbed me, it pulled me in. But there was this murder mystery plot. There was some nicely formed characters, uh, unexpected twists and turns. There were these spiritual connections that would kind of come in out of the middle of nowhere. And I was like, this is fascinating. I enjoyed it. The further I read, the more I was reminded about a part of what it means to be human. Part of what it means to be human is we like a mystery. It doesn't matter whether or not it's in a novel, doesn't matter if it's in a movie, doesn't matter if it's from watching people at the airport. We just like a good mystery. We just like things we just cannot fully figure out. So mysteries have a way of pulling you in, causing you to think, and grabbing your attention to the point that you cannot let it go until you get resolve. You gotta figure out where the thing is going towards the end. Mysteries are captivating. So in Ephesians chapter three, the apostle Paul tells us that God revealed a mystery to him. Chapter three, verse three. He calls it the mystery of Christ. Verse number four, and he says, it has been a mystery that was hidden from all previous generations. He tells us in chapter three, verse nine, that he has been given the administration. He's been given the task of bringing this particular mystery to light. And according to what Paul writes in verse number 10, this, this mystery shows the manifold wisdom of God. 
It is a mystery that is made known through the church. And then he says this crazy thing, that it captures the attention of angels. Now that part stood out. And I think it stood out because when we think of angels, we look at them as being mysterious. And he's saying when the angels are looking at the church, they're looking at us like we are mysterious. There is something in this mystery that God held to himself for thousands of years that now has been made known. And it's made known in chapter number three. So what is the mystery of God? I invite you to go to Ephesians chapter three, and we're going to find out together. Now, I'm going to do something that is even more mysterious right now. Um, I'm going to pray, and I'm not actually going to read the text out of my normal translation. Uh, I teach from, I study from the New American Standard 95 edition, fantastic translation. But I will tell you, I read this probably four or five different times, and I would get about three more sentences in, and I would lose track of where I was. And I kept going back and starting over again. So I want you to hold your place there. We're going to walk it through in that text, but I'm gonna have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to explain some background pieces and then I'm going to read out of a uh, paraphrase for a moment. Y'all don't get all crazy on me right there. I, I promise there's a reason I'm doing this. Okay, so let's have a word of prayer and let's jump into this. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask tonight that you would allow our minds to be captivated by what is called the mystery of Christ. May we see it for exactly what it is. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we are starting a new chapter in the book of Ephesians, I want to take just a moment and go back and recap a few things. Um, I, I do this because we've been going verse by verse through Ephesians for right at a year or so now, and we've made it about a third of the way through the book. So at this particular pace, uh, things that I shared a year ago might not be the freshest thing in your mind. So I'm going to kind of give a little refresher on a few pieces. Uh, that is, there are three major themes that go all the way through the book of Ephesians. and I've covered this a couple of times before. The first theme is all Christians are united together in the body of Christ. There's a unity theme that you're going to continue to hear all the way through the book of Ephesians. Then all Christians, the second part is all Christians have everything they need in Christ. In Christ, we are resourced in Christ. We have the fullness of what we need in Christ. It, all of that idea goes all the way through the book of Ephesians. And then the third major theme is all Christians are called to live out these spiritual truths to the glory of the Father, for the building up of the body, as well as for the advancement of God's kingdom. Those three pieces work their way through all of the different chapters. So in chapter one, Paul reminded believers of how blessed they are in Christ. And he describes that every believer has a spiritual bank account and God himself has filled this account. And he's filled the account with a number of pieces. And this is just a small list. This is not an exhaustive list. That is, we have blessings in this account like election, adoption, redemption, forgiveness of sins, wisdom and insight, the seal of the Holy Spirit, and the inheritance in Christ. Then in chapter 2, he describes how that account was opened, as well as the unity that we share in Christ. 
We are reminded in chapter two about where God found us, about what God did for us, and about the future that we have together in Christ. We are discovering in that chapter, in chapter two, that the body of Christ is being built together, both Jews and Gentiles, into a holy temple. Now in chapter three, the apostle Paul wants us to understand the resources that we have in Christ. And a part of us understanding this is he's going to pray for believers. It's like he stops right in the middle of this letter and he says in chapter three, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And there begins this prayer. But before we get into that, he goes back to reemphasize and to expand upon some of the ideas that he has already presented in the previous two chapters. So what we find in verses two through 13 is largely a parenthesis. He doesn't actually get into his prayer until verse number 14, but it's almost like he's saying, before I get there, let me set this up again. Let me remind you of what you have. I'm gonna review a couple of pieces before we go any further. So, like I said, after reading over this particular chapter multiple times and me confusing myself multiple times, I decided to, I wanna read this in a paraphrase. And by the way, I understand, a paraphrase is not an actual translation of the Bible. But what a paraphrase can help you do is get a basic idea of what it's saying so that when you go back and open up a actual translation, you can understand what it's saying. You can follow the train of thought. So I am going to read a couple of sections out of the message. Okay, bear with me, I promise, it'll be all right. I'm gonna read a couple of sections out of the message. I don't want you to think about anything other than just listen to the flow of the conversation. Listen to what Paul is saying. He says, as you read over what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's spirit through his holy apostles and prophets in new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message, to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any available Christian. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am, preaching and writing about the things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ my task is to bring out into the open and make plain what God who created all of this in the first place has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. 
You kind of get a basic idea of what he's describing. This mystery. He's like, it's something that God has known. He's been working on behind the scenes that the previous generation had no idea about. He said, I get a chance to share the mystery, not because of anything inside of me, but because God sovereignly chose to give it to me to share with you. What a beautiful picture. So in this chapter, the Apostle Paul introduces a new idea that defines the church. In previous chapters, we learned that the church is a body and the church is a temple. And now in this chapter, we learn the church is a mystery. And when he uses the word mystery, it, it is not in a resemblance with the modern connotation of a whodunit. He, he's not saying like, what is the church? I got no idea. No one knows. It's a complete mystery to everyone. That's not what he's describing. Paul uses the word mystery as something that had not previously been revealed, but is currently made manifest. He's saying in the Old Testament, this understanding of the church was not revealed, but it is now something that is revealed in the New Testament. Mafat translates the word mystery as divine secret, and that is a wonderful way to translate it. A divine secret is something that God had not revealed up to that certain point, but now he has made revealed. 2,000 years ago was the time in which God said, it's time to reveal this particular piece. Now, I don't want to go too far down this path, but I do want to kind of bring it to your attention for just a moment that the mysteries of God have not yet been exhausted. There are still things people are discovering. doesn't mean that everything is spiritual in the sense of there's a new spiritual revelation. Like we understand the word of God is sufficient. It is complete. It is, it's finished right there. But there's mystery in this universe that we still have not yet discovered. This is what it says, Proverbs 25, verse two. It says, it's the glory of God to hide things, but the glory of kings to investigate them. God has created our world with so many intricate, so many unusual, so many awe-inspiring details that for the rest of our existence, we will not fully work through every type of discovery that is still out there. From the design of an atom, to the significance of DNA, to the expanse of space, to the millions of galaxies that are out there, all of these are a sample of the creative genius of God. Um, I, I said a few moments ago, I, I like to fall asleep watching TV. And a couple of my favorite channels to fall asleep to are the Learning Channel and the Discovery Channel. Okay, and uh, the reason I love both of those is because I love nature programs. It doesn't matter what the program is about. If it's about nature, I'm hooked. I'm gonna watch it. But some of my favorite, absolute favorite nature programs are the ones that take place out in the ocean where researchers and scientists are hauling up from the depths of the ocean some of the ugliest creatures ever known to mankind. And the funny thing is, they're still finding stuff that they didn't know existed. Now that's fascinating to me, one, because I love nature, but two, because of all of the research, all of the science, all of the discovery that's happened, they're still finding 
parts of creation that they never even knew existed. Did you know at any point, God has an opportunity to say, now I'll let you into this mystery. And all of a sudden the world stands in awe of something that's been there since the very beginning. So in chapter three, God revealed a mystery that he had held to himself for thousands of years. And this mystery is connected to what the Apostle Paul calls the stewardship of God's grace, found in verse number two. Now, we understand stewardship, it, it refers to the management of a household, a management of affairs, management of concerns on behalf of someone else. So in biblical times, a steward would be someone who was taking care of things for someone else, like buying or selling or bookkeeping, planting, harvesting, storing, preparation of meals, the assignment of duties to servants, as well as whatever else it took in order to run a household. So in many ways, a steward would be kind of like a personal assistant and a life manager all rolled up into one. And Paul uses that idea of himself, and he says that he has been given the privilege of being a steward of this mysterious part of grace. He's a steward of something that he has now been entrusted with, that he is now to share with others. And in this particular one, he makes the claim that a part of his stewardship here is to share with Gentiles a part of what had not yet been known. Now, it's not the first time he's made this type of a statement. Over in Galatians chapter two, verse seven, he says that they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. So both Peter as well as Paul, they both had the same message, the message of the gospel. But we understand that the primary audience that Peter was sent to was to a Jewish world. The primary audience the Apostle Paul was sent to was a Gentile world. So while taking the message of Jesus to a Gentile world, God chose the Apostle Paul as this main guy in order to reveal a mystery that had been held back. In verse three, he tells us this mystery came by revelation of God. That's important. He's saying, this is not my idea. This is God's mystery. This is not a thought that I just felt like I needed to share with you. Rather, this is revelation that has come from God. Then in verse number five, he shares with us that this particular mystery has also been one that was shared with the holy apostles and the prophets. In other words, he's saying, I'm not the only one to know this piece. It's something that God has shared with the apostles as well as the prophets. So what exactly was revealed? What is the mystery that had been held back for thousands of years? You find it in Ephesians chapter three, verse six. Here it is. The mystery of God is complete equality in Christ. The mystery of God is complete equality in Christ. This concept of complete equality is something that would have been virtually unheard of before. This mystery seemed so foreign, so unusual, so I could not believe it was coming, that both Jews as well as Gentiles would be shocked by this news. Now you might be thinking, Paul, that's not a very shocking mystery. 
That's a lot of buildup for something that in our society, equality is something that's talked about everywhere. The idea of Jews and Gentiles having equality in Christ, that seems normal. That seems reasonable. In fact, that seems even expected. How is that even remotely a huge mystery? Well, you have to remember the reason it's a mystery. It's a mystery because God himself was the one who created an elaborate system to draw distinctions. From Adam to Abraham, everyone would have been considered a Gentile. But starting with Abraham, God chose to separate a people unto himself. From Abraham to the day of Pentecost, right after Christ's ascension, humanity was essentially divided into two different groups. There's Jews, the covenant people of God, and there's Gentiles, those who are outside of the covenant people of God. The Jews are the chosen people. They're blessed with the covenants of promise. They, they're the commonwealth of Israel. They receive special revelation of God, special protection by God, a special place of honor because of God. This special distinction was not given to them because of their size, because of their ability. It was given because of the sovereign choice of God. He chose to call out a people unto himself. He chose a nation not only to reveal himself to, but to bless the world through. So for thousands of years, the world was divided into those two types of people. There are the Jews, the covenant people of God. There's the Gentiles, those who are outside of the covenant. But from the day of Pentecost through the time of Christ's return, there's no longer two different groups. There's now three groups. There's three groups. There are the Jews, there are the Gentiles, and there's the church of Jesus Christ. You might say, hold on just a moment, Paul. I feel like we're going backwards. Like I thought unity, there's now just one. How in the world did we go from two to now three and somehow this is still coming back to a message of unity? It's actually pretty simple if we think about it. It comes back to, are you born again? That's the key piece. Are you born again? Because there are Jews who do not know Christ. There are Gentiles who do not know Christ. And then there are those who are former Jews and those who are former Gentiles who know Christ and they're now called the church. Now I understand, ethnically speaking, there is a piece of Judaism that does not end when a person becomes saved. There is a part of ethnicity that moves forward. This is talking about spiritual standing in Christ. The Apostle Paul actually referred to these same three pieces in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. This is out of the King James Bible. It says, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Did you see the three parts, the three distinctions that are there? What is happening here is a Jew is not immediately connected to the church because of their heritage. A Gentile is not immediately excluded from the church because of their heritage, but both can have equal opportunity in the church because of Christ. That concept was staggering when it came out. The mystery of God 
is that there could be complete equality in Christ. Now, according to Paul, this mystery had been hidden from the world, but it had been known by God. It's a mystery that is now revealed through his church. This phrase, through the church, it speaks of the church as a theater in which God's manifold wisdom is now being displayed for all to see. Uh, the word manifold that is mentioned there in verse number 10, it is a rare adjective. It only appears in this one spot in your entire New Testament. It means variegated. It is a word that is applied to pictures, to flowers, as well as to garments when describing the colors and the types as well as the styles. So Paul is saying that through Christ, as he brought Jews and Gentiles into one family, into one body with equal footing and equal access and equal resources in doing so, God's infinite, manifold, matchless, variegated wisdom is now shown to all and he specifically says it's revealed to the angels. Verse number 10, it speaks of rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Rulers is a word used of various angels who are a part of God's army. We find that in 1 Timothy 3, 16, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Authorities is usually a word that is used of the angels who fell with Lucifer. These are now known as demons. It speaks of authorities in heavenly places. Ephesians 2, 2, Ephesians 6, 12, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, and a number of other places. Either way you want to look at it, whether it's a demon or whether or not it is an angel, they were both created as the same type of being by God. And Paul is telling us that when the angels and the demons look at what Christ has done in the church, looks at the church, looks at where he found us, looks at what we did, looks at how he loved us, looked at the way that he has chosen to form this group into his body. When the angels and the demons look at that, it is a mystery. It does not make sense. Why in the world would the creator be willing to die for his creation? Why in the world would the creator continue to put up with our rebellion and our problems and our sin and our issues? Why in the world would the creator not just stop and obliterate all of us and completely start over again when they look at what God has done through the church it's a mystery the mystery of God is there is complete equality in Christ and by the way isn't that what we would hope for there's something inside of us that longs for equality and yet we live in a world that is full of inequality some feast while others starve some are born into freedom, others into bondage. Some have been blessed with unbelievable privileges from their birth, and others seem to be behind the eight ball from day one. We live in a world that equality is not seen. So when you come to the church, when you come to the good news of Jesus Christ, 
and people are able to hear that in Christ, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter the family that you were born into. It doesn't matter what has been a part of your past. It doesn't matter if your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents have been serving the Lord on the mission field and in ministry and whatever else. It doesn't matter about those things when that individual repents of their sin and they stand before a holy God by placing faith in what Jesus has done. They have the same footing. They have the same resources. They're a part of the same family. They got the same opportunity. There is a wonderful beauty in the fact that there is unity in the body of Christ. And that idea was something that was shocking 2,000 years ago when, when people hear that, they're like, whoa, what do you mean? There's nothing like that that we see in our culture, nothing like that that we understand from these writings. This is completely new. Praise God that when we get a chance to share the gospel, the good news with people, we get a chance to say, listen, God doesn't play favorites in this. When you repent of your sin by placing faith in Jesus, you come into his family and there's equal access to our Father. So as we close on this service, I want to reread a section out of the message one more time. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. That's good news. Our world needs that kind of news. Our world needs to know they've not been forgotten. Our world needs to know that their life is not an accident. Our world needs to know that there is a future and there is hope. There is genuine hope that is in Christ. The angels stand in awe of God's design. The demons don't understand it. Is it any wonder that Paul says, verse number eight, again, out of the message, and so here I am preaching and writing about things that are way over my head the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. So here's my challenge to you as we close out that section. Take time and review what God has done for you. Take time as you pray and say, Lord, would you remind me of not only what I have in Christ, but also remind me of what you have done for me. Do it in your prayer time. Let me, let me get you started on something like this. A lot of times when I find myself in a place where in prayer, I'm having a hard time staying focused, I'm very distracted. One of the things I do is I, I go before God and I say, God, would you reveal any area of sin that's in my life that's not yet been confessed and repented of before you? 
And as I take the time to walk through that, I confess whatever God brings to mind, agree with him that it is wrong. And then out of that time, I say, Lord, would you remind me of the blessings that you have provided? And all of a sudden, pieces. Thank you, Lord, for my salvation. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the health that you've given me. Thank you for the family you allowed me to be born into. Thank you, God, for the resources that you've provided. Thank you for education. Thank you for the experiences. Thank you, God, for the opportunity that you've blessed me to serve right here at Sherwood. Thank you for the relationships. Thank you for this church. Thank you for an opportunity to serve on mission with you. I thank God for my computer. I thank God for my TV. I thank God for my iPad. I thank God for my phone. I thank God for music stands that stay upright whenever you use them. I thank God for the food he's provided. I thank God for blessings of things like being able to walk in nature and smell a flower. By the way, coming out of COVID, if you've not been thankful for taste buds, and scent, COVID will make you thankful. All of a sudden, I'm tasting stuff I don't even like. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for taste buds again. I thank God for those things. Like when you stop and just begin to make a list of his blessings, his provision, the, the things he's allowed you to be a part of, all of a sudden you sing that song, praise in a different way. <laughs> I've got reason to praise. We have been un believably blessed by God. It's good to take time as we sit with the Lord and just say, Lord, walk me through some of those blessings. Help me get to a place that I never get over what you've done and I don't live in ungratefulness. A lot to be grateful for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the mystery of Christ. Thank you for this blessing that you have allowed us to be able to experience. So God, we ask that we would be grateful, that we would be thankful, that praise would be quickly on our lips. And Lord, we will praise you in advance for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.